G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Let me just start with the idea that when Federal Parliament returns, and I think that's just a week away, the likelihood is that they're going to be discussing religious freedom. Uh, What are your thoughts for the possibility of that all uh, hitting the media and uh, being available for comment from next week? Well, it definitely is on. Yes, that's right. So um, there's been a huge delay between um, the same-sex marriage law passing and the religious freedom uh, inquiry uh, being tabled, if you like. So there was a review into religious freedom, which came off the back of all the debate uh, around same-sex marriage and the religious freedom implications. And uh, it was Malcolm Turnbull, and we shall remind him of this, who said that he believes in religious freedom even more than he believes in same-sex marriage. Um, but despite that, didn't uh, allow many of the amendments to the marriage law that went through Parliament earlier this year, which guaranteed religious freedom to go through. So they didn't pass at all. Instead, the government decided that, that they would put this separate process together called the Ruddock Review. Um, and that review was concluded ages ago, but the government didn't want to release its findings because they had a lot of other things they were trying to get clear air for, by elections and, and the budget and things like that. So... Finally, uh, Parliament does resume from the winter break. Politicians tend to flee Canberra in winter, um, which is probably a smart thing to do. But they'll be back next week, 13th of August. And this is really high on the agenda now. It looks like it's actually going to happen. Uh, the government's going to tell us what the Ruddock Review found about religious freedom, particularly in a post-same-sex marriage Australia. Um, and, and the government's also going to announce its response. So we're, uh, we're looking to be very busy um, in the next couple of weeks, particularly just talking to politicians about some of the details of possible policy responses, because that's the that's the thing about uh, about this particular area of law is it really is about the details. Um, you know, the government may well come out, for example, if the rumours that we've been hearing are true, and say, look, uh, we recommend that there be a religious discrimination act um, at a federal level. So, an act of, of parliament that says it's unlawful to discriminate against anybody on the basis of their religion, um, and that sounds great. But, you know, that act could mean nothing if it's not well drafted, because when it comes to these legal issues, it really is about the details. So it could well be that somebody gets fired for their belief about marriage uh, or, say, gender, um, and actually that act might not protect them if it's not well drafted. So uh, I think people need to look past the smoke and mirrors and listen carefully to the commentators like ACL on this about whether or not the response that comes from the government is actually adequate. It is going to be a significant time. I believe you, Martin Isles, when you say I'm going to be very busy or we're going to be very busy in the coming weeks uh, because this idea of smoke and mirrors, and we won't labour the point today as much as we'll need to get into this conversation as the government makes its announcement, but this idea that the government is likely to make this announcement with some level of fanfare saying we've solved all the problems and we've got the silver bullet solution and uh, aren't we wonderful? A few little minor tweaks here and there and we've preserved uh, religious freedom. I suspect you're going to say when you look at the details, as you did say, uh, that those are going to be very important and for Christian listeners, uh, not to be too quick to have the wool pulled over our eyes and believe that everything is smooth sailing from here. 
Yeah, that's right, Neil. And I would I would just repeat what you said to everybody, which is essentially that, that we should be careful and we should be discerning because um, from what we've been able to, to get so far, the response that they give will be something, but it just won't be everything. I mean, all we're actually asking for is that we have the same level of freedoms that we enjoyed this time last year um, because the same-sex marriage law has changed a lot of that. And we just want to you know, say, look, we want to be able to live out our faith, have our Christian institutions, speak our beliefs, with exactly the same confidence that we could do so a year ago. Um, that's all we're asking for. It's not a big deal. Uh, but I'm suspicious that the government's response will not allow that, although it will be amidst much fanfare. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be very pleasantly surprised, and I would never rule that out. But, but we're preparing for something that is, that is not quite enough. So this might be a longer conversation that we're having with the government. Okay, let's move on. There's other important issues that you've been thinking through and speaking about. One of those, uh, David Lionhelm, uh, the senator, Mm. and the Territory Rights Bill, which has to do with euthanasia. Uh, He's been breathing fire this week, making all sorts of threats to the Turnbull government. What are your thoughts uh, on what's the developments uh, with this euthanasia uh, possibility? Well, this has all come on because David Lionhelm, the uh, Liberal Democratic Party senator from um, from New South Wales, uh, who is on the crossbench in the Senate, so he's one of those uh, individuals that doesn't affiliate with any of the major parties. Um, and essentially, the government has to bargain with him and a, a sort of a collection of others, which are really changing at such a rate that I've lost track because they're not eligible to sit because of the citizenship thing and someone else comes in and then one defects and joins another party and another one becomes an independent. So it's a bit of a mess that cross-bench, we call it. And the government needs quite a few of their votes in order to pass legislation. David Lionhelm is one of those. And what he's done is, uh, in exchange for his support on, on something that is exceedingly important to the government around its, its building um, uh, construction watchdog policies, uh, which is, the government's really, really keen to get that through. And, and David Lionhelm said, I'll support you so long as you allow me to bring in my own bill uh, and you allow it to be voted on in the Senate, which is a bill that would allow the ACT and the Northern Territory to legislate for euthanasia. Now, that's just a, 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 uh, a sneaky way of getting euthanasia in the ACT and the Northern Territory, because certainly in the ACT, the government would definitely do it if they could. Um, and so he's held the government to ransom over that. And it looks like the Senate could pass that bill, uh, because it's not just a question of whether senators support euthanasia. There's this extra issue in the mix now. Do you support the territory's rights? to legislate for euthanasia if they want to. Uh, and so you've got some senators voting for the bill because they believe in euthanasia, but then you've got some who don't believe in euthanasia but are voting for the bill anyway because they say, well, I support the territory's rights to decide for themselves. Now, that's a bit artificial and a bit cute because the only outcome of this vote, if it passes, is that euthanasia will happen, at least in the ACT, pretty quickly. So. I think that that's a bit of a dodge by some who don't want to face the realities or don't want to face the hard decision of being against euthanasia. And so, you know, uh, it's important that we continue to speak on this one. But also, it's not really right that on a completely unrelated issue, uh, David Lionhelm would hold the entire government to ransom. I mean, it's not only an unrelated issue, but it's a very serious issue. We saw coming out last week um, these findings in the Netherlands about a case where a woman was forcibly held down by her family whilst a lethal injection was administered, uh, which is chilling, just bone-chilling stuff, and the latest in a very long line of serious abuses uh, of the euthanasia law over in the Netherlands and Belgium, which is having um, terrible effects on, on the elderly. It's having effects on those who are sick. 
disabled and many are, are dying, uh, some without making an explicit request. I think one in 60 deaths in, the, in Belgium is now without an explicit request um, for euthanasia and so potentially against people's will. Uh, there's so much trouble that comes out of euthanasia law. Once you say life's not sacred, some people can die. You know, people draw the line in all different places. Some people say, well, it's when you hit a certain age. Others say, well, when, it's, when, you, when you're depressed. Uh, and these arguments come up and, and it gets worse and worse. And we're just seeing that around the world. So it's not fair that I think that, that David Lionel would hold the government to ransom over such a serious issue that's completely unrelated uh, to the policy that the government wants to get through Parliament, which is essentially around... Uh, their construction policy. So um, uh, that's very serious. And, uh, you know, people should write to senators and their parliamentarians to urge them to oppose it. Okay, let's move on. Lots to cover. Uh, Some thoughts on the uh, Tasmanian-based government relations manager, Angela Williamson, who was Mm. sacked uh, just a couple of months ago for her social media criticism of her state's abortion and environmental policies. Uh, What are your thoughts on what's happening in Tasmania with that case and Cricket Australia? Well, this is the case, um, Neil, yes, where a a young lady called Angela Williamson uh, worked for Cricket Australia as a government relations manager or public policy and government relations manager. Um, And uh, recently some developments have taken place in Tasmania around abortion, insofar as the only abortion clinic in the state actually shut down earlier this year. Now, what that means, of course, is that if somebody wants to get a surgical abortion, which is, you know, essentially beyond the first trimester, um, so later term, not late term, but later term than sort of very early on, um, they, they, they can't do that in the public health system. Um, and there's no private clinic there anymore. And so they're saying, well, now women who want to have an abortion beyond the first trimester have to travel interstate. Uh, and the health minister in Tasmania has come under a lot of pressure to provide, allow surgical abortions to be provided in public health facilities, but he's holding firm and saying he won't be doing that. Uh, that's Michael Ferguson. Um, and uh, and this woman uh, tweeted, uh, used her Twitter account essentially to very, very harshly criticise Michael Ferguson and the Tasmanian government for not allowing uh, abortions beyond the first trimester in public health facilities. Uh, now, the problem, I mean, she's been fired as a result of that because of her tweets. And usually my instinctive reaction will be to say that's wrong. People shouldn't be fired because of their political opinion. I mean, that's happened to some people uh, on our side of the issue, and we, we always come out and we object to that very strongly, as we should, uh, because people with different religions and political beliefs should be welcome everywhere, and they should be able to express them freely without fear of being punished for their free speech. But it is a complicating factor here that this lady worked as a government relations manager, for Cricket Australia. So it was actually her job to maintain uh, good relationships with the government uh, and to lobby on behalf of Cricket Australia. So it actually would depend what her contract said uh, as to whether or not she's compromised her ability to do her job, uh, which is a possibility. But that's going to be played out in the courts. It'll be very interesting. I'm instinctively on her side, not in the issue. I think she's terribly, terribly wrong on the issue. But just in the sense, I'm not sure people should be fired for their political beliefs. And I think we'd all, most of us would agree with that. Um, and, and, and we'll see how that plays out. Well, it certainly is generating some discussion over free speech and the use of workplace social media and no doubt more to say on that issue. Uh, let's move on. Uh, a quick mention of things that are happening in Victoria because, uh, as I understand it, there were more than 15 people who were questioned by police uh, over the weekend, uh, part of a fraud investigation into Victorian 
Labor's rorts for votes scandal. Uh, What are your Mm. thoughts on what's been happening with uh, the Labor politicians, with the Victorian Labor Party and that scandal? Well, this is this is quite um, symptomatic, I think, of a deeper issue. Um, and and we did mention this at the time, Neil, when it happened, uh, some, when it first broke the news, where you get this sad situation where expediency is reigning over principle in the sense that uh, it's a win-at-all costs um, um, mindset. Um, and and all of a sudden, when win-at-all costs is your mindset and that's your ultimate goal, uh, you know the interests of the people um, go by the wayside. And in this case, Victorian Labor, uh, certain members of Victoria Labor were so keen to win the state election that they actually misused $388,000 of taxpayers' money by doing the wrong thing to pay campaigners from, um, from MP staff allowances, which is not allowed. And they actually had to falsify documents uh, in order to do that. Uh, and uh, there was a lot of uh, wasted money. There was an abuse of process there. And uh, it was Victoria's fraud squad that interviewed, you said, more than 15. And I think it was, I think it was 17 exactly um, people across state borders uh, the other morning in order to pursue this. And, uh, you know, I think it's sad when politics gets to the point where uh, you do see that, that win at all costs reigning over the interests of the people. I mean, they've, they've abused taxpayers' money, potentially. It doesn't look good at any rate. Um, and that's an ongoing investigation in Victoria. But, of course, that means that November election in Victoria this year, the Andrews government's going to be struggling because they've got their fair share of issues already, uh, and this is another one for them to add to the pile. So who knows, there could be a change of government in November in Victoria. And I imagine if you were the Andrews government, you'd be trying to push that uh, that uh, case uh, back past the election because, uh, as you say, November election, uh, it could have some significant bearing there. Uh, running out of time, uh, just 20 minutes or so ago, uh, listening in Division National News, there was a report on the controversy over our defence forces and the use of gender-neutral language. Of course, uh, there's this campaign called They Day being promoted and primarily in Victoria, but what are your thoughts on this whole idea of gender-neutral language and the they day campaign well this is look we we talk to a lot of people who work in the victorian public service and and other public service roles and big corporations and there's a consistent theme which is that many christians are starting to really feel marginalized and they're starting to feel like they're being forced out of workplaces or put under unreasonable pressure to participate in events and days and, and and celebrations and programs that just go against their conscience and that's the great irony here so the victorian department of health have uh, made the first Wednesday of every month They Day, which is a day in which you refer to people by gender-neutral language. So you don't say he or she, you say they or them, uh, and you don't use gender-neutral language in your in your speaking. You don't say mankind, you say people kind, things like that. Um, and now this is all in order to normalise the transgender issue and, and the queer issue and to essentially force workplaces to celebrate that and be a part of it. Uh, and staff, and it's another example of, in the name of, in the name of uh, acceptance, they're actually not accepting those who don't feel that they can participate in this kind of thing. Uh, there's wear it purple day. There's, you know, lots of pride events in in various workplaces. There's lots of those celebratory things that are going on. We get a lot of people coming to us who, who are struggling with it, uh, and and some even who have had disciplinary action taken against them because they've voiced their concern about it. Uh, and so in the name of diversity, it doesn't look like there's certain groups that are included in that diversity, which is a great irony. And and it is political correctness gone mad. I mean, let's just be honest and straight about it. It's crazy. Um, it's absolutely crazy.
Okay, well, let's talk a related issue here, uh, because interesting when you talk about all these different campaigns that are being generated from the LGBTQI agenda, uh, and you've got your own campaign that's coming up, Martin Isles, and I think listeners will be pretty excited about this because sounds like a very proactive thing that you're doing, but you are dipping your uh, toes into very controversial waters, and an Australian Christian lobby conversion therapy campaign. Uh, what's uh, what's driving uh, ACL to do something this significant? Well, this is very conver- very um, controversial, Neil, uh, very controversial. But uh, I think for Christians, it's absolutely imperative that we knock this issue on the head and we get involved in stopping it because uh, the concern that we have is it actually happens that the Australian Labor Party's national platform includes a section which is titled Conversion Therapies. Now, that sounds to a lot of people very weird, um, but the actual meaning of that is very significant. They explain, and it's at page 183 of their current platform, and they explain there that claims that a person's sexual orientation or gender identity can change are false and harmful and must not continue to be made. So they start at the point of prohibiting those sorts of claims. So if I was to claim that somebody, how someone feels about being a boy or a girl, if it's somebody with gender dysphoria, and I say, you know, you can change that, and we know that they can, they want to actually make that unlawful. Uh, or if I say to somebody, do you know what, those same-sex desires that you have, they can actually change. Now, there's uh, you know endless testimonies of people who have had change in that front. And indeed, all of us experience the change and the reform of our desires, you know, when we become Christians and the Holy Spirit is at work in us, whether we have same-sex desires or anything else, you know, that is a journey that we take that takes place within us as we grow in holiness in Christ. And so there's a huge section of the Christian gospel that suddenly becomes unlawful to say uh, under under these new uh, rules which Labor is proposing. Um, even, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul says, you know, such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you know, you're on that journey of change. Um, we're not allowed to say that. And if you're a pastor and you speak that way, or if somebody were to ask you for prayer in relation to these matters, um, or if you're a counselor or a doctor, all of a sudden you can find yourself on the wrong side of the law for dissenting from uh, the mainstream on this, which is that you know you must not question uh, somebody's sexual orientation or gender identity, and you must never, ever tell them uh, that, that, it, that it's changeable. Now, just quickly, the most concerning aspect of this I haven't even mentioned yet, which is the way that that closed that section in the in the policy platform closes out. It says when these harms are suffered in the context of the home, it will be deemed psychological abuse and domestic violence against the child. Now that is hugely concerning, and that's an attack on Christian parents' rights, because if a child comes home from school, let's say it's a safe school and it had these gender theory people in there and all sorts of weird things have been told to them and they've been confused as we know is happening all around the country uh they come home from you know they, they go to see the school counselor because they've been told about all these things that you and i never had to think about as kids but they're having to think about it and it's confusing and they may get advice that perhaps they should socially transition or they should they should act as a girl for a while be called she if they're a boy or or, or wear a dress to see how it goes because maybe they're gender dysphoric this kind of thing's happening all over the place and let's say the parent intervenes and says, no, I, I don't like this. I'd like, you know, Johnny to remain a boy um, for now and let's see how this all pans out. Now, straight away, under the, the terminology in the ALP's platform, that parent actually is at risk of becoming a domestic abuser 
um, and the, the school has to report domestic abuse. And so we're actually facing a situation where Christians could lose their kids for trying to look after their best interests in terms of their sexuality and their gender identity. This is one of the most concerning things that I've ever seen uh, in public policy, certainly in public policy in Australia. It's an attack on parents' rights and it's an attack on religious freedom like, like you wouldn't believe. So I, I would really encourage people to get on the ACL website and participate in that campaign. At the moment, it's a petition to the ALP's national conference to repeal that section of their national policy platform, uh, but it will develop into more if we don't see movement on this. And I think the whole church has to get behind this in a very serious way. Well, uh, let me encourage listeners uh, to check that out and where you can see that petition on the Australian Christian Lobby website, acl.org.au, perhaps worth uh, getting involved in and being participants in this campaign uh, that is being run by the ACL. Uh, We've run out of time. Martin Isles, just great getting your uh, insights. Uh, Quite a lot of things on the agenda this week and uh, no doubt we'll be continuing and uh, monitoring some of these things closely over the weeks ahead. I really appreciate you taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's always my pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.